Have you ever wanted to do something just for the rush of adventure? You know, that moment when you look around, take a deep breath, smile, and almost can't believe that you're lucky enough to experience life. I remember feeling that way on the back of my dad's motorcycle when I was about eight years old. It's a good feeling. You're fully present, and it's almost as if your worries are held back in some alternate dimension. I think we all want more of this feeling. And when I hear from other people who have built this sense of adventure into their lives, I become energized. I'm reminded to explore my passions and to seek out new experiences. I invite myself to experience all that life has to offer. And that's why I was so excited to talk with my friend Bree. After a few energizing backpacking trips, she decided she wanted to see what else nature had to offer. So she hopped on a plane solo, arrived in Tanzania, Africa, and took an eight-day trek up to the most awe-inspiring summit. Now I know I was inspired by her sense of adventure, and I hope that you will be too. Brie, I'm excited to talk to you because um, I wrote down a couple notes before we hopped on here, and I was just thinking like, I I actually I truly admire like the fact that you have climbed these mountains because I think you know it takes I'm sure it takes a lot and I'm excited to get into it. Um, it also and there's just a lot of um, perceptions that I have in my head and um, I'm just excited to see how many of those are actually true. Um, I know that like I just went camping in Yosemite a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh my you, gosh! Yay! Have you been? Yes, I actually, uh, I did Half Dome uh, last September. Oh, yeah, you were out yeah. here. Yeah. Nice. That's, that's super cool. Yeah, so we, we just went for a weekend um, to get away, and I certainly didn't climb. But, um, like, camping for a weekend is honestly a lot for me. And yeah. so um, <laughs> with climbing, like, throwing in the climate and the length and, you know, the elevation and the danger, like, I am truly interested to understand um, what that's been like for you. So, um, first I would like to know, like how many climbs have you actually done today? Yeah. So, so that's, that's a, that's a, a tough question, uh, because it's like climbs, like what, what, what is mm-hmm. defined as climbs, right? So if I'm talking about high altitude, I've done, I've done two to date and I have two planned. Okay. Um, but as far as like just climbing in general, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things for training, as I just said, of I did uh, Yosemite Half Dome uh, a year ago in September. So, but yeah, as far as high altitude, I've I've been on two mountains, and and have some coming up as well. Nice. And so, when when was your first one? So my yeah, my first mountain um, was uh, Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, Africa. Wow, and that one's like pretty big, right? Com- yeah. I mean- so. Of the seven summits, it's the second highest. Wow. Um, it's over 5,000 meters. Um, so the the actual like feet, I think is, um, uh, if I remember correctly, it's 19,341 feet above sea level. Dang. And so you just went for it right out the gate. I did. I did. Um, I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know why, um, but I, just in general, I'm the kind of person that I'm kind of the like go big or go home kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I have growing up in the Midwest, uh, still living in the Midwest, mountains have always been kind of that intriguing thing to me. Mm-hmm. And I read about Mount Kil, you know, I did a lot of research on it. And to be 100% honest, Mount Kilimanjaro is a really great starter mountain, even though, and, and maybe some people wouldn't agree with me, <laughs> but yeah. even though it is very tall, it's just what's considered a trek. So it's literally just, you know, a lot of walking um, over several days, um, you know, with high altitude, but it's a really great mountain to, to be able to just trek and kind of slowly make your way, uh, make your adjustments. Um, it's, you know, it's n- of, of the seven summits, for example, it's probably the least dangerous. Okay. Um, so yeah. And also it's, it also just, there's a lot of people that do it. So, uh, so that was for me kind of one of the like, Hey, I get to go to Africa. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, at the end of it all, uh, be on the rooftop of Africa. So yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Um, 
Okay, so I definitely want to get into more details about the climb, but um, first, I kind of want to know, like, how did this um, passion for climbing come about? I was really afraid you were going to ask me this. (laughs) Um, It's okay if it wasn't like a straight path. I feel like that's yeah. It wasn't, and I also (laughs) I also feel bad because I don't have some like amazing story where it was like you know I woke up out of a coma and this is what I wanted to do, right? Yeah. Um, So for me, it's you know, I grew up, uh, uh, I'm, you know, from, from the Midwest country girl at heart, totally. So I, I love being outdoors. Um, I actually, uh, have always kind of loved camping and things like that. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, my ex-boyfriend kind of got me into, um, like camping, camping. So actually, okay. so I wouldn't even call it camping, camping. I would call it backpacking. So, so backpacking is where you, you know, you have a backpack on your back, you, put a whole bunch of supplies out there or in there, excuse me. And you, you go out into the wilderness and you, uh, you, you carry what you can with you. And if you don't have it on you, you don't, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. So we did that a couple times, very small, small trips around Indiana. Um, so I, I found out I really liked that for me. Uh, it really, the introvert in me loves the, mm-hmm. the, the quiet, and, and, you know, kind of, even though I was with somebody at the time, like the loneliness of it. Right. Right. Now combine that with my passion to travel and my passion to be challenged. I really think that's kind of what has led me, led me to this. I really love being challenged. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I love being away from, from my phone and not having communication and, and just the, the peace that kind of comes with, with being able to, to go to a mountain. And then ultimately at the end of the day, like these mountains are all over the world. So I get to travel to amazing places that like, even when people travel, they're, they're not really going, these are places you're going to go really as a tourist per se. Right. So yeah, Yeah. so it's kind kind of a combination, but ultimately why I chose to, to just jump into it was I can't even say there was a pivotal moment. I was probably on Instagram or something, you know, seeing pictures and I was like, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like, so, um, yes. I mean, it seems like it makes sense for you to go from like backpacking to just, I mean, it seems like the next step though, you did go straight into the second (laughs) highest one, but like you said, you know, kind of with it being the the least dangerous, I can see how that, that flow came about. Yeah. And my, my parents, you know, who probably obviously know me the best, like for them, it was a no brainer. Like I'm definitely the kind of person, like I'm going to jump off the cliff. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll figure out once I'm at the bottom, if it was a good idea or not. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That's really cool. Well, um, like I said, like we haven't camped that much, but, um, I went to Yosemite and like fell in love with it because I'm also an introvert. Um, and so just like sitting in the, in the, like woods or the wilderness or like wherever you're at and I really like journaling so I'll just like sit with a a pencil and um paper and just like write and that is like the most soul refreshing thing um that I know to do so yeah it really is and you know people often are like oh aren't you lonely or or things like that but to be honest especially the longer you do it the more you really get to know yourself and the more you're out there and the more solitude that you have, the more like, you know, the the world kind of slowly starts to go away. And, and almost the scariest part is you have to deal with what's in your own head. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're so right. That is the scariest part, but it's also like the best part because I found, you know, when you, when you know yourself better, only good things come from it, even though it's kind of a a messy process to get to know yourself better because you have to realize that you don't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So with Kilimanjaro, um, how long was that climb? And yeah. then also how long uh, was it to prepare? Yeah. So, um, so with the first question, so there are for Kilimanjaro, that's another really great thing about this mountain is there's actually multiple routes. Uh, that you can take. I actually took the longest uh, route, which was the Lamosho, which was eight days on the mountain. Okay. Um, I think, I think there's one, um, like 
like there's definitely like a six and a seven. There may be a four. And of course there's like really, really crazy people who like can maybe do it in a day and a half or something. Yeah. <laughs> but those are people who are well acclimated. Okay. Their conditioning is amazing. They're probably so is it the shorter, the harder. Oh, absolutely. And, and to clarify, it's not always, and yes, it, it is going to be hard physically. Um, but the hardest part of, of mountain climbing for anyone is going to be whether or not you can acclimate to the altitude. Mm. And, and unfortunately, the only way you know if your body is going to accept it or not is, is just to just do it. Yeah. Dang. They say it's one of those things that, you know, like even the most, and I've seen it happen actually in front of me, but like the most, you know, trained athletes, um, don't make some of these summits with yeah. that. Said, there's also a little bit of ego, I think in there, you know, because they're like, I'm, I'm in such great condition. I'm going to push myself farther, right. but definitely the key to success is really going just slow and, and funny on Kili, they actually, um, in Swahili, they say poli poli, which means slow, slow, uh-huh. um, because the best way to get acclimated is just to go slow. Gotcha. Nice. Um, okay. So you were, you said eight days. Um, so leading up to that, uh, I guess, when did you sign up for the climb and then, um, what did it look like to prepare for it? Yeah. So I signed up, it was okay. So my, I left in May of 2018 and I think don't hold me to this, but I think I signed up November, 2017. Okay. So about like six months. Yeah, it was about six months. And to be honest, part of that was like, you kind of put a down payment down and I still sure. had to save money and it was my first trip. So I had a lot of things I had to get as well. Yeah. And also, um, if you don't mind me asking and it's, it's okay if you don't want to share, but how much is the climb for Kilimanjaro? Yeah, absolutely. So the, it, the, the price c- can vary. It can vary on what route you take, but also, uh, what got, what kind of guide you get or what company you go with. Okay. Any climb that I've ever done, I have always chose a local company with a local guide nice. for, for a couple of reasons. A, it's actually always cheaper. Um, and in this case, cheaper doesn't mean worse. Yeah. Uh, because what happens is if you go with a company like REI, you're going to pay like $5,000. But what they do is they outsource that to a local company. And yeah. so so when you get there, everything's branded, you know, REI, but it's still a local guide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually went with a company, a local company called Samba Treks. And the reason I, I chose that company was because they, one of the really bad things about mountain climbing is, you know, you'll hear about Sherpas or porters. So those are the people that help carry, carry everything. Um, and at the end of the day, they're real, really the rock stars of, of the mountain because not a single climber could get up these mountains without these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get paid very poorly. Okay. Um, so if you, you know, at the end, and I might be making up prices here, but I mean, I want to say they get like $2 a day. It, it's horrible. Um, and so, and then even with tips at the end, um, they may not go to the actual porters or to your to your cook. Uh, so I, I chose Samba Treks and my actual trek, I think was like $2,000. So, and a lot of people who have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro will be like, what, that's so cheap. Um, and it is because if you look at like REI, it's, it's 5,000. Okay. Um, not that that's cheap, not that, you know, cause $2,000 is a lot of money still. Right. And the things you have to take into account too is you have a plane ticket, you have, um, you know, maybe a stay the night before, the night after, um, and then, you know, depending on the mountain, you have a lot of equipment to get and equipment is real is really where things can start getting, uh, pretty expensive. Not so much for Kilimanjaro because it's definitely a trek, but you still need, you know, like winter clothing, which is really awkward to take to Africa. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my trek uh, for eight days, I think what was right around $2,000. And that's because I, I did use a, a local company and a local guide, which I have no regrets of. Nice. That's really cool. And I, I bet too, like, um, like you said, you know, giving, well, putting the money to those guides, do you know if your guide was paid any better because you went with the local company as opposed to REI or is it kind of the same? 
No, actually, and that is one of the reasons I chose this company. I know exactly what they were paid, and um, like all, actually, all of the the money that 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 two thousand dollars went to to all of the people that helped helped me get up the mountain. Which, by the way, one person. Uh, I was one person and it took five people to get me up the mountain. So I had, yeah, so it was, I had a a lead guide, um, a cook, and then four porters, I want to say. Three porters, sorry. I can't do math. (laughs) You're good. Um, Okay, so I I definitely want to get to like um, what it was like to spend those eight days with those people. Um, But okay, so you are in the U.S. and, you know, May is approaching. Like, did you have to get your um, your supplies here? Did you wait to get them there? Um, what was, yeah, what was that like? Yeah, so again, thankfully, you know, one of the things I had started to love prior to this was backpacking. So I definitely was already kind of, you know, for probably a year prior to this, already kind of collecting supplies here and there. Ultimately, when you go to to any mountain, whenever you choose a company, they will definitely give you like a gear list of the things that you need. And because Kilimanjaro is a trek, um, you really don't need anything special. Like you don't need uh, crampons or, or, you know, or like 6,000 meter boots or, or anything like that. You just really need the basics. Um, which is, you know, you need a backpack um, that can hold, you know, a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. You need <laughs> you need a, a very warm sleeping bag. You need, you know, warm clothing, um, a headlamp, um, you know, jackets, gloves, um, those kind of things. You know, it, it, it sounds crazy, but like a pee bottle and, you know, yeah. things like that. So, so to be honest, it's really the same as if you went backpacking in Yosemite for a week, it's just instead of, you know, maybe not gaining as much altitude, you're, you're gaining altitude and with, with the altitude, it it gets colder. Right. So how, how like steep, um, is it meaning, you know, in a day, like, uh, how much ground could you cover and then how much do you know, uh, like how much you are rising? So I don't, without like looking at the exacts, because yeah. it been a while, I don't know the exacts, but I do, you know, one thing I'll never forget <laughs> is the summit push. And in the summit push, uh, we ascended like three miles with an elevation gain of uh, just a little over 4,000 feet. Okay. Wow. Which Jeez, is- I definitely feel like I would get sick because <laughs> I get yeah. sick going to like Denver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but here's the thing, right? So like when you fly into Denver, you are, you, you know, you, you hop on a plane in LA yeah, you fly into Denver, and, and boom, you're like, you're at that, that elevation. That was the really great thing. Like with Kilimanjaro, I, I think I started just a little bit, um, over 2000 feet elevation. So, you know, by the time I got to like, you know, the summit push, I was six or seven days in yeah, and I slowly, you know, my body was slowly adjusting to that, to that altitude. And, and that's what's important. So yeah, I mean, if you, you know, put me on a helicopter and like drop me off at 15,000 feet, right. I would. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's silly fair. Um, okay. So when you um, got off the plane in Africa, um, where, like, where did you go or who did you meet up with? And also um, like kind of in that process, what were you feeling? And um, were you scared? Yeah, so scared probably does not even begin uh, <laughs> to 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 describe my feelings. So if I step back a bit, one of the other things that was kind of amazing about this trip for me what it was it was my very first solo trip. So it was the the first trip I've ever in my life taken by myself. You know, oh, wow. I, like your first trip and anywhere by yourself. Yeah. Cause you know how it is. Like, yeah, you know, sure. you always want to go with friends and, you know, and loved ones and things like that. And so unfortunately not a lot of my friends or loved ones really, <laughs> really were down for this. Uh, so, so that to me was actually also a really big stepping point was not was not only was I going to go do this thing, but I was going to do it all by myself. Yeah. And again, going back to that, you know, being an introvert, I was very worried about like, Oh, I'm not going to meet people. And like, I'm, you know, like part of me is like, I'm going to be bored. I'm going to be scared. I'm going to die. I don't know. So many, so many thoughts, but I was so excited to fly to Africa. I'd never been to Africa. Um, 
and I, I had no idea what to expect. They spoke Swahili. So I was, you know, I have definitely had the opportunity to travel a lot. Um, in other countries. So I've always felt comfortable in that I could communicate because even just with hand gestures, communication can go a long way. Um, but I had never, you know, I had never been to, to Africa. I was, it, it was definitely going to be my first experience in kind of a third world country. And I was also going into an area that, you know, didn't have hotels, didn't have toilets. So it was, it was a lot. So um, I'll never forget when I stepped off the plane. It was actually really cool. You know, I'm kind of used to when you get off a plane, um, and I don't really know what you call, but it like a little arm kind of comes out, you yep. know, goes the door, and then you you actually walk into the air conditioned airport. You know, right. Um, this one, no, it's a massive plane. They like throw out the steps, and you get off, and it's the the heat immediately hit me. It was it was late at night, and probably the most impressive thing was the the airport, you know, it, was, it had lit up at night and it said like Kilimanjaro airport. And I thought, holy crap, I made it. Like you are there. I'm here. And, um, and of course, you know, <laughs> actually it's really, really funny. Um, well, I don't know how much we get into funny stories, but, um, a couple different funny things happened. Uh, you, you can do what they call like visa on the spot so you can get your visa there. Okay. I interestingly enough, went into the long, wrong line, waited too long because I didn't have my visa, blah, blah, blah. But we get through all that. And my guide was actually there uh, to meet me. And okay. they do speak English, but it is very broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's like, I don't know, it's like 930 at night. It's pitch black. I am exhausted. I have traveled many, many hours. Yeah. Um, and I, I was definitely kind of having a hard time understanding, you know, the, they kind of take you and they take all your bags and they put you in cars that, you know, are definitely not what we're used to here in the U S right. and it was all like, Oh my gosh, what's going on. But you know, I also knew I was in good hands. Um, and I actually, they took me to, um, I guess we'll use the word hotel, but Oh, actually what it was and another reason I chose this place. What it—it's an orphanage. It's a school orphanage. So all the money um, that uh, like I give to them to stay the night, which was extremely cheap, actually goes to the children, and they're actually on site. So that was another cool thing for me was I was able to bring um, like supplies and toys for the kids. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So you you seem pretty trusting inherently um yeah. to get off of a plane and and you said you you knew you were in good hands so um when you say that you know was that due to like the reviews of the group and um hearing from people who had gone with them before um yeah so interestingly enough the company is is, is extremely small they're very new they actually had not had a lot of um, a lot of people, they don't have it. They definitely don't have a huge, uh, like presence on the internet. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I guess I am a trusting person. Yeah. I just kind of believe, you know, in my heart that I, I make the right decisions. I do a lot of research. I do everything I can. And, um, I also kind of feel like I'm, you know, I have pretty good instincts. So if, if I had bad instincts right then and there, I, you know, obviously wouldn't have gotten a car and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely admire it and obviously turned out all right. Yeah. Um, so, okay. What was your guide's name and what was he like? Yeah. So interesting, uh, very interesting and kind of horrible story all at once. So uh, the, the name of my lead guide was Charles Samba. Um, he is who picked me up at the hotel. Fast forward to the next morning, and um, his father passed away. Oh no! Yeah, and you know, obviously the culture is very different over there with burials and things like that. So he was he w- came to me that morning and ultimately was not able to do my trek. Um, so I won't I won't lie. This was the first moment um, in my trip where I thought, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but he assured me that, you know, he was looking for another guide and that I would be in trusted hands and, you know, so on and so forth. So he actually introduced me to, uh, what would become my lead guide, which was Nastero. Um, and I 
to be 100% honest, after the trek is over, I am 100% glad he was my guide. Yeah. He was amazing. And again, it's just one of those things where it just worked out marvelous, like, you know, amazing, marvelously. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I, I'm glad it worked out and that's unfortunate, but I'm, I'm glad it was able to come together. So what was the, you said there were five people. So we've got Nathro and then um, the other four. So, okay, you stayed the night after you got there. Was the next day the day that you started out or was there a couple of days there in between? Yeah. So I flew in late. I arrived at like 930 and um, I had actually kind of put in a buffer day because uh, I had read a lot of horror stories about people, um, you know, and their luggage didn't arrive on time. Yeah. And uh, that was probably one of my worst fears, uh, especially traveling that far is that, you know, my luggage wouldn't arrive because there's so many things in your luggage that you really need. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, day one, I arrived. Day two was for me just kind of a relaxing day. Um, it was that buffer. Uh, so I didn't do anything that day. Um, as, as far as mountain climbing or anything, I kind of, I walked around the orphanage, got to meet some of the kids. Um, I was looking for some snacks. So one of the, the, um, hotel, uh, persons kind of, you know, helped me go to this little shack and like buy a Snickers bar and things like that. So technically it was the, the start of full day two, um, that I was, you know, me and my stuff were collected. They kind of went through my gear just to make sure I had everything. Uh, it would be really horrible to, to show up at the gate without having like winter clothing or, you know, trekking boots or things like that. Um, but yeah, so it, that was actually a really interesting uh, experience as well. In, in Tanzania, um, a lot of people don't have vehicles, but people need to get places. So uh, I guess in America, we would call it kind of like a hitchhiking. Um, okay. So literally for the, the several hour drive that it was taking us to get from where I was to the, to the start, um, we were kind of like picking and dropping off random people. Wow. And, yeah. And I had no idea, you know, who they were, what they were speaking. Um, even more, you know, even more interesting was I was the only female. Yeah. Uh, so something to note that is a different about my climb than others is a lot of people will join a group. Um, so you'll, you'll fly to Tanzania and you'll meet up with a, a huge group of people and like the whole group kind of goes up. I um, chose to do a solo trek. So that means that I what it was just me. Um, okay. It was just me and the people that were, you know, there to help me, to help me get up the mountain. So no, no, no one else. And I did that because it was my first mountain and I had read a lot of things about, you know, like if, if somebody in your group, you know, isn't, um, conditioned or, or ready, then there's a potential that because of that person, you won't make it to the summit. I gotcha. And I was like, you know, selfish in that moment. And I was like, no, no, no. If I don't make it to the summit, it's because I didn't make it. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that's cool. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like a lot of people would probably choose to go with the group first, but I, I, I like that logic of, you know, I'm putting this on myself and if we make it, it's because I made it. <laughs> yeah. That's and cool. if you ask me right after, I would say, while I was super excited, like I made it and that, that was the, uh, a great part about it. It was also very lonely um, yeah. at times, even though I got to meet a lot of great people. You know, once you go into your tent at night, um, there are, you know, it's just you again, it's you and your brain <laughs> and right. a lot, of, a lot of things happen. Um, since then I've done some other, uh, things and I've, I've joined groups and now I kind of have, I have mixed emotions about either way. You know, they yeah. both have their pros and their cons. Yeah. So what was, uh, I, okay. Um, I kind of want to go into what was like the pros, um, of the group. Yeah. The pros of the group. The pros of the group were you are given, an, like, you get to meet amazing people. So, like, I have met people from all over the world, um, and you're kind of thrust together, and yeah. you have to work together as a team. And at the end of the day, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So, because we all are there, we've all paid money to be there, we all have this passion, we, um, you know, will will drive each other, will, you know, cheer on each other. So you kind of have these like built-in cheerleaders. 
But for me, one of the really greatest things is I've got to meet people who this is a passion for, and they have been doing this for a very long time and they give me so much amazing advice. Um, I have learned so much, um, which just makes me always want to go, you know, bigger and higher and better. Uh, So that, that has definitely been one of the great pros, but definitely it's, you know, it's really great when it comes to like dinner time and you have somebody to reflect on the day with, um, and kind of laugh and make jokes and things like that. Nice. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, okay. So you are, um, you're with your group of, of five mm-hmm. and these guys are, their job is to essentially get you to the top, um, and to make sure that you're healthy. Right. Um, yes. so, so we've got the group leader and then you said porters and one other person. Um, so as you like start the climb, what's that actually like? And, and what is the role of each of these, um, each of these people that's with you? Yeah. So to get me up the mountain, it did take five people. So I had Nassaro, who was my lead guide. Um, and then I had three porters. So those porters are carrying, you know, all of, all of my stuff. So like, you know, the tent and, you know, all of the food, cause you have to keep in mind, um, food just for one person for eight days. That's a lot of food, but there, there are five of us. So they're carrying all of the food for all of us to survive. Um, and, and then of course, all of their stuff, their tents right. and all those things, um, you know, things like that. So I had, um, sorry, a lead guide, uh, three porters and then a cook. So a lead guide, obviously he was just that <laughs> he was my lead guide. Um, he knows the mountain. He actually has went to college to be a guide. He knows the mountain inside and out. He knows the signs to watch for as far as me being healthy or not healthy. Um, he kind of knows all the, the tips and the tricks. Um, and then the porters are amazing. They not only carried all of our stuff, but they were, you know, um, I can't say enough about the porters. They were amazing. Um, they were there to, you know, make sure I had hot water in the morning to, you know, like wash my face with or wash my feet with, which never underestimate how amazing it is to wash your feet, guys. Yeah. <laughs> a luxury. Um, yeah. And then I had a, a cook. You know, and it sounds like, oh, how luxury and high class. But, um, you know, so he, he made my, my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner, plus snacks. It is extremely important when you're on the mountain. You are, you are burning, uh, you know, an amazing amount of calories. So for your body to keep going, you have to be fed a lot of calories. And food is really easy to get um, over when you're on a mountain. As you go higher, um, your body naturally, your digestion slows down. So, uh, and, and ultimately you end up like not even wanting to, to eat. So they kind of call it like an onset of anorexia. Thankfully I love food that has never happened to me. Uh, but, but you do, you, you just become really tired. And, and and of course that's also why the guy, the guide is there. He is there, you know, there, there was a time at, at base camp where, I just didn't want to eat dinner. I, you know, I was tired. I was, I had, they, they literally force feed you so much food, which, you know, they're supposed to do, but I was like, I don't want to eat. And, you know, and he just sat there and was like, you have to. So, um, yeah. So yeah, it was an amazing team and you can't do it without them. Yeah. At all. It's just impossible. Well, that I, I never would have, I never would have known that, um, all of that's required, but I mean, it totally makes sense. Um, so you mentioned base camp. Um, is that, is that like halfway up the mountain? So it definitely is going to depend on, on the mountain, like what base camp is ultimately base camp. If you think about it, it's going to be at high altitude and it's, it's really where a a lot of different routes will converge and ultimately start their push to the summit. So on, on Kilimanjaro base camp is is the one of the last it, it is the last camp depending, depending on what route you take but it's the last camp before your push um Okinawa for example base camp is um there's like three high camps after that but it's really the last place that's kind of like civilized in the sense of there's people there you know there's things to do on on Kilimanjaro they actually call it little New York City um because when you kind of arrive it's just this so many tents because all the different companies all the different people and kind of going back to it took five people to get me up if you think about some of these crews um you know if there's eight climbers there's i think there's a it's a minimum of four porters per person 
So eight times three plus cooks and all these other things, it really adds up quick and, and there can be a lot of people at base camp. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I know nothing about climbing, so it's all super interesting. Um, so how much of the day were you walking between camps? Like how many hours was each day? Yeah, it all, it, it all depends on the day and, and definitely the route. So for example, with Kilimanjaro, Kilimanjaro is definitely kind of a starter mountain for a lot of people. So like, you know, day one, I think, I think the, the, the trek was like three to four hours. Um, but it's funny cause you think, Oh, three to four hours, that's not that bad, but three to four hours at a, a good old clip with a steady incline that'll, yeah. that'll kick you in the butt real quick. Yeah. Um, but on average, I would say on average, you're usually trekking about seven hours a day. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a decent hike, right? Yeah. There. It's, it's funny because at work, especially like as I'm getting ready to do a climb or something, I kind of think about at work, I'm like, wow, you know, in a week or so, uh, the amount of time I'll make here at work sitting, I'm going to be like walking. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. That's insane. Um, so did you have to make sure that you were like pretty in shape then before because of that? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of like, um, depending on who you ask, there's different things that you can do to, to get ready it, for Kilimanjaro. You definitely, you know, you need to be in good condition. There's no doubt about that. Um, you simply can't trek for seven hours a day if you aren't, you know, in, in decent shape. I would say Kilimanjaro of all the, of all the mountains, <clears throat> as far as like the seven summits, um, you know, you don't have to be a super athlete by any means. As far as like what I did, I have always just kind of, you know, been into fitness and I, I love strength training and things like that. So I actually for uh, Kilimanjaro did not change up my kind of my normal training. Okay. Um, so, but, but since then I, you know, learned a lot and had a couple other things and had to switch some things around, but really it's just about, you know, having endurance um, strength comes in depending on the mountain you're climbing because with Kilimanjaro, I was very lucky. I was never, uh, because of the porters, I didn't have to carry my own things. Um, but other mountains you could easily be carrying, you know, 22 to 40, uh, kilos on your back, um, during those treks or okay. climbs. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so you were, you were pretty, you didn't have to carry much of anything then. No. And it's funny because I remember being on Mount Kilimanjaro and, you know, at various m moments, it was like, oh, this is really, really hard. Um, you know, looking back, having done some other things in the meantime, I'm like, wow, that was like just so easy. Yeah. Um, not that it it's like it was a good beginner then, like you said. It really was. It really was. Um, but yes, thankfully I did not have to carry anything, even on the summit push. You know, I, I didn't even really like the only thing I had to carry was like my own water, which also never underestimate the weight of water. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> and high altitudes because yeah. you don't just carry like eight ounces, you know. Right. Um, but so even um, even on the summit push, um, my uh, one of my porters actually. So my summit push, my lead guide and a porter went with me, and my porter actually carried my backpack that had my water in it. So even for that, I I literally just had to carry my own body weight. Yeah. Yeah. That's not too bad. Um, I'm sure it was still pretty tough um, and like pretty exhausting, but um, what was the weather like uh, during the climb? So it's crazy. Literally up until the summit push, the weather was amazing. I mean, you're in Africa. So as you can imagine, um, like the, the first few days are really hot actually at the very start of the climb. What's really cool about Kilimanjaro is you different, you, you go through different zones of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I don't know what the word is. Um, but ultimately you kind of go through like a forest and then you, you go through like things that are barren and then you kind of get to the Arctic. So you really have a chance to see a lot of different things. So when we first started, um, you're kind of in that forest area and it's like a rainforest almost, and it is really hot and really humid. Um, but then as you go up, um, it, it gets colder and colder. You get to kind of like a desert area where it's hot during the day, but really cold at night. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and also, you know, even when it's cold out, you're working. So your body is, is heating up. Um, so yeah. Nice. Um, and then at night you just had to keep warm with like the sleeping bag that you had and, and did you have like a blanket or was it, was it easy to sleep? Yeah. So it is the higher you go in altitude, the harder it is to sleep. I am blessed in the fact that I can sleep pretty much anywhere, um, but even I was tested. Um, so, and, and the problem is that once you get to a higher altitude, um, there's less, less oxygen in the air, so it becomes harder to breathe. So there isn't less air, it's just less oxygen in the air. Um, so I think at, I think at around the summit, you're like 30% or something like that. It, it's crazy. Um, but, you know, it's funny because things that you don't think about in, in your normal day-to-day life is breathing. Right. But when you're mountain climbing, breathing, it becomes very uh, important and you are very aware of how hard you are breathing or how hard it is to breathe. Mm-hmm. So as far as sleeping, though, um, yeah, I had a sleeping bag and ultimately you you just like wear a lot of layers. Um, so it's, you know, unfortunately, it's not like camping where you get to like, when you're done for the day, you like, you know, change into your comfy PJs and kind of all that stuff. I mean, I was wearing the same clothes like over and over and over. For me, one of the most important things was changing my socks um, because, you know, having really good foot care on the mountain is super important because once you get a good old blister or your feet start to hurt, you know, it's game over. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would be scared. I have this thing called um, Raynaud's disease, which is where um, my feet and my hands like go numb. Yes. Uh, it, and so that, that would be one thing that I'd be scared of with that. Well, so it's interesting, you know, the more you learn the, or the more you do this stuff, the more you learn. So, you know, protecting your face, your hands and your feet is by far the most important thing to do. And there's lots of tricks. There's lots of different things that you can do to help, uh, prevent, you know, prevent your hands from getting cold or your feet. Um, to be honest, my hands and my feet did great. Uh, what I didn't do great about was my, my nose and my, my lips, which was a lesson learned. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of, lots of, lots of tricks. I mean, I think kind of when I get towards the colder high altitude, I'm usually wearing about like three pairs of gloves. And at, even when I start and it's super hot, I always have two pairs of socks on. Um, like I have a, a base pair they're like a ninja socks. So that they're like the toe socks Yeah, and they're like a wool. And then I always have like a thick trekking sock over that. And then obviously as you go, you just start more and more layers. You can throw on some, um, like hot hands or hot feet. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay. So it sounds like the trek was, um, difficult and, um, you learned a lot. Um, what did it feel like to get to the summit finally? Yes. Um, wow. The emotions that went through me when I made it, um, I, I, I don't even know if I have words to describe them, to, to describe them, excuse me. I get a little choked up even thinking about it. Um, yeah. So uh, the very first, um, thing I did was I actually cried. Like I cried a lot, um, which interestingly enough, not great at those temperatures because your tears will freeze. Yeah. Um, I was also, you know, I'll be hundred percent honest. I was a little in shock, uh, that I was able to do it. Mm. Um, there were definitely times during the summit push, uh, which the, the push actually you start at like midnight. So it's super dark, scary, kind of all those things. Um, I think we were maybe two or three hours in, you, you lose all concept of time. Um, I remember actually asking my guide if I was even going to make it because it was, it was so difficult. Um, and I was just, you know, they always say, you know, at the, the point that you think that you're going to break, you have so much more in you. Yeah. Uh, but try telling yourself that at the point that you think you're going to break. Right. Um, but yeah, no. So at the top, it was shock, shock that I even made it. Tears of joy. I was extremely proud of myself um, for so many reasons. You know, the fact that I did it by myself the fact that I was there, the fact that I was in Africa, like all these different things. I remember being so excited. I wanted to like call my parents and let them know. Um, 
but but then kind of once all of that washes away and you actually start to look around and you take in the beauty um, that is up there, it's wild to to know that you're in Africa, but you're standing in snow and you're looking at snow and you're just looking at all the mountaintops because you're literally standing on top of the highest mountain in Africa. Um, it's a surreal feeling that I, I can't really um, describe, um, but I can say it's addictive. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking like it sounds, yeah. that feeling sounds addicting. It, it <laughs> so is. I can see why you have continued. Yeah, it is. It's definitely addictive and I wouldn't say in a good way. Yeah. Um, because you're kind of always, you know, chasing something, sure. but it is a, it is a marvelous feeling. I will yeah. say that. I also think like, I listen to a lot of Oprah and she says, um, you just know when you're like in flow with the universe and like kind of when you are doing what you're either made to do or just like what, what brings you life. And it sounds like, you know, that is that feeling. And so, um, I don't know if chasing it is bad so long as you, you know, are being smart. And I mean, you are, it's, I think that so many of us, um, want passions like that, that provide that feeling for us. And so I think it's really, really cool that you've been able to find that. Yeah. And I will, you know, Mount Kilimanjaro has a, a special place in my heart and, and I definitely hope to actually go, uh, do it again, just, just for fun. Um, but for me, it was, you know, it was a moment in time where I was like, I don't even know if I can do this. And I did it. But at that moment, it, it opened up in me something I didn't know I had, which was this passion for mountain climbing. And ever since then, I have just been learning more and more and trying to, to become better and, you know, learning to be more technical so I can do more technical mountains. Like it is, you know, I, Africa and Tanzania have a very special place in my heart. Yeah. I can, I can definitely see why, truly. Um, so what is next and what do you plan on now? Yeah. So interestingly enough, right now, I am actually planning to do Mount Elbrus in Russia. Um, and, and where does that fall like on the um, scale? Oh my gosh. Great question. And to be honest, I, I have actually stopped caring so much okay, about fair enough. Yeah. You know, well, it's funny because I don't know why, but I've kind of stopped caring about the, the like heights. Yeah. Um, I, I care about them. It's, it's, it's smaller than Kilimanjaro, but it is far more technical. Um, okay. It's somewhere over 18,000 feet. And my apologies for not knowing no, the, okay. the exact height. Um, but ultimately um, it's one of those things. It's a technical mountain. So it's helping me hone in my skills and it is, it's June 29th and I actually leave August 1st for, for Russia. Nice. It's coming up. Yeah, it really is. I'm, I'm, I'm scared and super stoked all at once. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You say it's more technical. So, um, is that something that you are preparing for now? Like, are you researching things and like learning new things or is it something that you'll, you'll pick up on more when you get there? Yeah, so I just lost my computer again. Sorry about that, guys. Okay. Um, so I actually, in February, uh, did Okinawa, which is in South America. Um, that is kind of, is also, that's a, a very high mountain as well. But um, I learned a lot there as far as like some some technical things. One of the hardest parts about living in the Midwest is there's, there's, there's no mountains for me to climb. Yeah. Um, and especially when it comes to like alpine climbing, um, so as far as training, you know, I, I did a lot of things, learned, learned a lot of things on Okinawa, like self-arrest using an ice axe and things, things of that nature. Um, Russia will kind of take it up another notch for me, um, because we'll kind of do like self belaying and things like that with, uh, you know, ropes that are already anchored. Um, so yeah. And one of the hardest things for, for me, for Russia is it's going to be, um, fully snow covered most of the trek or or sorry, most of the climb. Uh, whereas Kilimanjaro and Akinawa, it was, you know, kind of hot until you got to a certain altitude. Whereas, you know, this is Russia. So it's going to be chilly. It's going to be a little chilly. Um, but but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely super stoked. Um, and I've, 
I don't know, I, you know, I'm not a world famous mountaineer or anything like that. So I, I don't have great things as far as training. I just kind of do make sure, you know, my endurance is up to, to par, but at the end of the day, so long as I think I could physically do it, the, the, the toughest part is always mental. Yeah. So it's really just about getting your mind in the right spot and, and, you know, cause, cause really you're, you're about to put yourself through misery, but, but it's worth it. Yeah. Dang. Well, I so appreciate hearing from you. I am very excited for your, your Russia climb and like to hear, um, where it takes you. And, um, I, I kind of wanted to ask, like, do you have a big goal in mind of like this? I want to climb this someday, or is it more of like, I really want to climb this next mountain. And then after that mountain, I'm going to want to climb this next mountain. Yeah. Great question. A lot of people are like, are you pursuing the seven summits? It definitely so far feels that way. Um, so, you know, Kilimanjaro was my very first, I attempted Akinawa. I made it to the highest camp at camp three and my gut said, don't go for the push. There was a lot of bad weather and things like that going on. Um, and I know I made the right decision. Um, so my next mountain is obviously Russia, but I'm actually then in February going back again to Okinawa to, uh, to, to finally hopefully bag that summit. Um, so for me, I kind of always just look at the next mountain. Um, the problem with the seven summits are after you get to a certain point, they get very expensive. Um, okay. Not that in general mountaineering isn't expensive, but you know Everest, for example, is easily like sixty thousand dollars. So, so my goals right now are Mount Elbrus and Okinawa. And then, to be honest, I think my parents would really love it if I did some mountains in the U.S. Nice. So I'm thinking about like Rainier, uh, maybe Denali, things like that. So I think. Uh, after my two international mountains, I'm going to try to hone it in a little and maybe visit some of the States and do something here. I, I love that you found this. And um, yeah, I just, I think it's so important for people to find things that bring them life in this way. And I'm sure it also gives you something to look forward to, you know, in the days that are as fun. Um, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. It's really cool to hear. And thank you, Lindsay, so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this. And, you know, I really do hope that more and more people realize how fun it can actually be to step out of your comfort zone and, you know, really follow your passion. But my biggest piece of advice is to just follow your heart and know at the end of the day, uh, what is meant to be will be and everything else is just a journey. I feel like the universe really wants me to grasp this advice because I feel like I've heard it over and over again recently. And maybe your heart needs to hear it too. Now, Brie just put it so beautifully, and I can definitely see how a journey like that could bring about such an important life lesson. I've been reading a book called The Beautiful No by Sherry Salata. Now, she wrote it after she co-executive produced The Oprah Winfrey Show, when she was going through a self-discovery process one where her goal was to define and start living her dream life. So in it, she answers the question, what do you wish you could tell your younger self? And she says, worry less. You're going to do a lot of things wrong, and it's going to turn out all right. But spare yourself some pain, tune in to your inner compass at the start, and make sure it's pointing you where you want to go. Your dream is happiness, not just a spot on an org chart. Your dream is joy, not just fattening up your resume. So I'll keep going to my weekly hip-hop dance classes, I'll keep hiking new trails, and I'll keep making new podcast episodes. And maybe one day I'll join Brie on one of her quests, because our passions bring us life. And that is truly everything.